It's nice to be back in this little chapel, isn't it? Especially since we're fewer today than we were last month. <laughs> because if you take a few people and put them in a bigger chapel, it really feels like there's hardly anybody. But here, it's, it's very appropriate for the size of our congregation. It's kind of a, a sign to us, too. I know it's a new beginning, a new... Uh, I don't know exactly what they did here. They just kind of fixed it up. No, they replaced the fuse. Replaced the fuse. But, uh, you know, that's... With Lent coming, we're thinking about... <laughs> Fixing things up, getting things improved, and starting, starting off better. Well, here we are. It's uh, still ordinary time, seventh Sunday in ordinary time, and and you know that the Sunday Gospels over the past several weeks have all been uh, a step-by-step journey through the Sermon on the Mount, or at least the first chapter of the sermon, Matthew chapter five. <clears throat> and today is the final selection from the sermon before we get to the great season of Lent. Uh, and we know the sermon is actually quite familiar because we've heard, it, we've heard it before, but it's still very unsettling if we try to let it sink in and we try to live by it. So the first section from the sermon was, of course, the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes which, which uh, just throw our thinking upside down. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the meek and blessed are the persecuted. And then uh, the next week was the images of salt and light, which again make us think differently about ourselves in the eyes of God and the plan of God. And then last Sunday we had the beginning of Jesus' instruction on the deeper meaning of the commandments. Uh, you have heard it said, or you've heard it, 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 it is said, and then but I say to you this greater thing. And we're still in that section today. But uh, that even last week we were we were. Uh, invited to reflect on the richer meaning of the commandments, which are also much, much more demanding. It's, a, it's not just a matter of guiding our behavior, but inner change. Well, that takes us up to today, which is the shocking extensions of the commandment of love, love your neighbor. He, he extends it even, you know, even beyond what we would normally think of as a neighbor, he extends love of neighbor even to our enemies, even to our persecutors, even to those who do evil. And that takes us right up to the end of chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. And it happens, if you look ahead to uh, Ash Wednesday, the Gospel of Ash Wednesday starts with Matthew chapter 6. And the instructions on prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So it's very well timed here. Anyway, at the heart of, of at the sermon, and certainly at the heart of today's gospel, the heart of this, this moral and spiritual upheaval and marvelous instruction is love. The heart of it all is love. It's all about love, of course. It's about a surpassing love. It's not merely a natural love. He even says this. The tax collectors... Even the tax collectors love somebody. Who do they love? Well, they love those who love them. And everybody does. You don't have to be good to love people who love you. That just comes naturally. So he's not talking about what comes naturally. He's talking about something else, a love that extends even to those who don't love us or who we experience as not loving us. Sometimes we misread people's lack of love, as you know. Well, if we're going to say the heart of this whole sermon is, is love, then the question comes up, what is love, of course? What is love? And 
I don't have to speak about love because we just celebrated Valentine's Day. <laughs> so we were we were immersed in a whole ocean of red hearts and flowers and love songs and people talking about love. And you know the slogan, love is love. As if there's no need to say anything more. Once you say love is love, that's the implication. But Jesus, who is love, Jesus, who is the love of the Father, God, who is love, he does have more to say. He doesn't just say love is love. Uh, in fact, here, he gently shows us, and in all, the, in all the Gospels, he gently shows us that we're very often wrong about love. And the world is really often wrong about love. Not all the time. Not all the time. Love, we can find love in almost any place. But the ideas about love are very often wrong in the world and in ourselves. What do we typically get wrong? What do we typically miss about love? Well, one is the, is the objective dignity of every person, of the other person, not just ourselves. And the other thing that we often miss or get wrong is the cost of honoring that dignity. So we, we, when we think about love, we don't always think about really the good of the other, and we don't always think about what it costs us to respect that good. What we usually think of is ourselves. I hate to put it that bluntly, but that's really the truth. We're very self-centered, and we tend to think of love as our experience of love, our, ex our experience of feeling good in the presence of or in a relationship with someone else, and then we, we kind of define that that part of love as the whole thing. That's love is love. However you feel, whatever makes you feel good is love. Who, whoever makes you feel good is love. Certainly part of the experience, of course, but uh, it's, not, it's not the only part. And if, if, if we refer to that part, the good feeling, or the positive feeling, or the magnetism, or the romance, or whatever, if we, if we, if we attach to that, part of love, the whole definition, well, then we're badly mistaken. And in fact, Jesus shatters that whole model of love when he says, love your enemies. Because you can't fit that into the idea of feeling good. Because <laughs> that's why it sounds so strange to us, love your enemies. If love is about how we feel, well, then we cannot love our enemies. We cannot. It's, it's a contradiction. The very fact that the person is our enemy already eliminates him or her from our love. So you see what Jesus does here. It's a revolution in the whole definition. He's deliberately breaking us out of the mold that we have for our love. He's, he's shattering the pattern. He's shaking up the very foundations of how we think and how we relate to others. And he, 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 it's not just accidental. He keeps hammering away uh, offer no resistance to one who's evil, uh, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, pray for your persecutors. <laughs> Everything he says in this gospel is really pushing us. And then he sums it all up with this last line, be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. Which, I mean, we, the way we hear it might not be exactly how it would have been heard in his time, but it's certainly is pushing us to the, the limit or beyond the limit. Because at this point, we're supposed to say, now wait a minute, <laughs> that's just too much. It's one thing to say, you know, be kind, be gentle, be generous, or whatever. 
But now you're asking something impossible. You know, I can, I can put up with someone for a little while longer. I can be patient, especially during Lent. I can do, I can do better. But I can't be perfect. No one's perfect. I mean, that's even an expression. No one's perfect. But that's the way we excuse a lot of things. No, no one's perfect. We all admit it. Can we be perfect? No, we can't. Not by ourselves. This is not a matter of trying a little bit harder or being a little bit more patient or a little bit more generous. That's all good to do, by the way. I'm not saying don't try. We should try. In fact, in Lent, we should make greater effort. That's certainly true. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here, making greater effort. That's not the basis of it. And that's not what Lent is about either, making ourselves better. Because we can't do that. We can, we can improve a little bit, we can change a little bit, but we can't, we can't make ourselves perfect. We can't make ourselves love our enemies. See, he's not talking about that. He's talking about something essentially beyond us. Something that we can't do on our own. Very clear. He's talking about allowing his love, his perfect love, to operate in us and to flow through us. We're, we're receivers of love first before we go around loving our enemies. Because if we don't receive love, we don't know that we're loved, it's going to be impossible, no doubt. In fact, we don't even think it's a good idea, much less put it into practice, unless we ourselves have our, our know that we are loved beyond all reasonableness. That's, that's the basis of this. A good image for this, I think, came to me as I was reflecting you know that, that image Jesus uses in John chapter 15 of the vine and the branches. It's not, it's not mentioned anywhere in, the, in these readings today, but it came back to me. The vine and the branches really captures this idea of how we love an enemy or love a persecutor because Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And we get it. It's, it's one plant, one life. So that the life that flows through the branch or the fruit that hangs off the end of the branch comes from the vine. We get that part. We don't expect a branch to try harder and be more fruitful, bear better fruit. We don't expect a branch to just do that by itself. The key to being a good branch is healthy attachment on the vine. That makes sense to us. And if you cut off the branch from the vine, well then, it can't do better. It can't do anything at all. And Jesus says that in that, that section of John, chapter 15. Without me, or apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, that, that applies to this Sermon on the Mount. When he tells us to love our enemies and pray for our persecutors and go further, he's saying, you know, without me, you can't do that. So what Jesus is inviting us to do here is do what he does, or allow him to do in us what he does, so that we can live as he lives, we can love as he loves, we can act as he acts. That's the invitation. Or, if you want to put it in the words of Jesus in this gospel, to live like children of our Heavenly Father. Because he's a child of the Heavenly Father, he's the only begotten Son. And he's inviting us to live as children of our Heavenly Father. The Father loves like this. The Father loves the good and the evil, those who reject him. He lets his sun shine and the rain fall on everybody, no matter what they do. 
That's the kind of love that we're talking about here. That's the kind of love that, that's, if you want to say love is love, that's, really, that's a love, is love of God. That's the kind of love that wins. Love wins because God loves this way. He loves us this way. He loves us this way even when we are his enemies. That's the, that's the root of it. And, and we, when we sin, we're the enemy and God loves us. So it's not as if we're supposed to come up with a, a heroic way of loving our enemies by ourselves. No. We, we sinners, we weak people, we people have made lots of mistakes and have offended lots of people, we are loved. We're loved. So that's how, that's the basis. Now, how does this really work in practice? In fact, how can we even think about living like this? It, 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 since it seems to us, when we hear about loving your enemy, it seems that if we do this, then the most evil and the most unjust and the, and the, the most abusive people are just going to take over the world. Because no, one is, no one's stopping them. And that's the impression that people have. Well, if Christians were really, really Christians, well, then they would just be too wimpy. That would be bad, letting everybody be evil. And if I go the extra mile for others, well, then they're just going to take advantage of me. If I turn the other cheek, well, then he's just going to hit me on the other cheek. What good is that? If I love my enemy, aren't I enabling him to keep doing evil to me? That's, what, that's, what, that's the logic of it, the worldly logic. What about justice? What about self-defense? What about, what about that calling people to change their ways? It's easy for God to say, you know, love your enemy. Nobody's beating him up. But with Lent coming, you know that that's not really true. You can't say nobody's beating God up because when God came as man, he allowed himself to be treated as an enemy. In his passion, he, he does get beat up. He does, his cheeks get beaten. So he, he inserts himself into the experience of loving those who don't love him. And, and that's why we can see that it's made possible by him. But one thing I do want to touch on here, especially since we're very encouraged, um, I want to make sure that we avoid a very bad, even tragic misunderstanding of this gospel. Uh, we need to recall that loving a person does not mean loving his or her choices or evil acts, bad behavior. That, that's, that's a big mistake. Uh, and, and you know that love is love ex expression means love whatever I do and whatever I think. And that's not how God loves us. He loves us, yes, but he doesn't love our sins. Why should he? And, and, and we who are called to love our enemy doesn't even have to love all the bad things that our enemy does. When we love our neighbor, when we love our enemy, we do not love his or her evil acts. We oppose them. In fact, we oppose them for the very reason that those things he or she is doing, they're bad for him too even though I'm the one who suffers it, but so does, the, so does the abusive person. It's bad. Now, this is especially challenging when you come to abuse. The term abuse is quite um, sensitive now in the church because so many abuse cases, abused, uh, innocent uh, victims, and there are people who are abusive and there are people who are in abusive relationships and it's sadly all too common among people who experience same-sex attraction. 
not everybody, but but most people with SSA, if they, if they weren't abused in a, in a severe way, have this experience of being severely rejected. And so the challenge of loving people who are really evil to us is, is, is quite, it's touching a raw wound. That's, that's uh, why we have to get this straight. I mean, there's, <laughs> this idea of abuse is very often built on grave distortions of love that still call themselves love. It's always puzzling to people who are not in, a, in an abusive relationship when they see somebody and they always say, well, why do you stay with that guy? Why do you stay with her? Why does, why, the battered wife syndrome, you've heard of that, the battered wife syndrome. Why does she stay with that guy? All he does is beat her up every day. And, and one of the very common reasons is she thinks that's love. And he does too, in the, in the distorted, you know, psychologically distorted mind. She thinks that she's turning the other cheek. And that's a good thing to do, to sit there and allow herself to be beaten or, or abused. And, and, and abuse victims often do this to themselves. They sometimes even say, well, I deserve this because of my bad, you know, I, did, you know, I made him get angry or whatever. I, I'm, I'm speaking in generalities, but I, I hope I'm not touching too raw a wound for anybody. But I mean, this is what people think. I, I deserved it, and maybe it was my fault, maybe I made him mad, or, or whatever. So uh, that, that, that creates a, a, such a great distortion uh, of love. So we have to re remember, if we're going to put this gospel into practice, we have to remember that love sometimes means saying no. God says no to us a lot. And we don't, and so, well, sometimes we misread it. We say, oh, God doesn't love me. Because he says no to me all the time. Well, that's because we don't understand love. Love sometimes means saying no. Love sometimes means walking away. Jesus walked away from Nazareth, remember? They were going to throw him over the cliff. He just walked away. And there's a lot of cases like that in the gospel where he, he runs into a hard heart or a closed door and he just walks away. Well, does that mean he doesn't love those Pharisees or those townspeople? No. It means we don't understand what love is if we don't know that love means sometimes walking away. Love sometimes means pointing out injustice. That's the loving thing to do, especially for, with close, close relationships. But uh, the, the example that always comes to my mind is when Jesus, in his passion, this is in John's account of the passion, the soldier strikes him on the cheek. He said, you turn the other cheek. Remember what he says, uh, something like, you know, if I, if I said the wrong thing, you tell me what it was. You know, you know, produce, the, produce the justification for your abusing me. If not, why did you strike me? So he didn't, no, he didn't, punch, he didn't punch the soldier back. He didn't, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He didn't, he said, that's not, that's not the gospel. But in turning the other cheek, he also pointed out the injustice that was committed against him. Why? Because he loved that soldier. Because he loves us. He wants us to know that love sometimes means pointing out injustice. It doesn't mean being the doormat of the world and having everybody stomp all over you and thinking that it's a good thing. That's, that's the distorted view of abuse victims. They, 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 they sometimes take on this wrong understanding of love. So I don't want to go on and on about that. But, but uh, this is all about love, and we're going to enter into a season, Lent, when we're going to uh, be trained more deeply in love of God and love of neighbor.
So we don't, we don't learn to love simply by, coming what, what, by doing what comes naturally to us, and we don't learn to love simply by following the world. We learn love by following Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the model of love. And his love is a love which is persevering, which is sacrificial, which is other-centered, which is victorious through the trials. So when we get through Lent, we realize the cross is the way to victory. Uh, it's, a, it's not that he's just beaten down. He's making a gift of himself all the way to the end. That's love. So we'll get more of that, of course, when we start with Lent. That starts Ash Wednesday. But for now, let's at least welcome this this challenging, this contradictory, this revolutionary teaching of Jesus on love.